Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Music Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Cousin Joshua, of CousinJoshua.com here in Atlanta, Georgia. And in just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-host, Catherine Ironwood, of LuckyMojo.com in Forestville, California, and Conderman of ConderManConsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. This week, we welcome a special guest, Deborah Voice of TheWitchingBee.com in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, bringing us today's tutorial on ancestors. These good folks will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using the traditional African-American folk magic practices of hoodoo, conjure, or root work as divined and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected from amongst those who signed up at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be live on the air to receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first, let's catch up with our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman. Ms. Kat? Hi. Welcome, Cousin <laughs> Joshua, to the guest announcer slot. It's so nice to hear your voice. <laughs> Thank you. You, Thank you. You have a soft, polite voice. We're going to teach you to do a little bit of carnival barking if you stick with <laughs> us here. Okay. And welcome okay. once again. You know, we need we need that because uh, your voice is very soft. Just want to let you know. Um, Thank you. Up your volume. Thank you. Um, well, now you, cousin Joshua, one of my favorite people, and um, I've met you in person, and I like you, and I'm really glad to have you here as an announcer, folks. If you don't follow cousin Joshua on Instagram. You're missing something wonderful. He posts beautiful pictures of the flowers in his garden. And he uh, is just a, a great botanical magician. I love your work, Cousin Joshua. It's so beautiful. And you take good photos, too. Thank you. So, I'm, I'm very, very glad to hear that. Yeah. So uh, tell us what's been going on in your world of um, reading, root work, and gardening. Just give us a little update. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it has to do with the astrological weather, um, but I have been doing a great deal of readings on career. Even today, I had um, a pretty significant reading yesterday and one today for a long, long-time client uh, who I now consider friends. Um, I'm not sure if it's that Sun-Pluto-Neptune trine, um, but they are a little skeptical of some of the offers and opportunities at work. Um, that their bosses are very, I guess, optimistic about. And they just wanted some readings to obtain clarity on whether or not um, all that glitters is really gold. So um, that has been a lot of interesting career work. A lot of my more astro-sensitive clients are, are really thinking about their circumstances that are being presented to them from their, their, the people at their work or other institutions right now. Wow, either we have all the same clients 
<laughs> or it is the astrological weather. And actually, I think that last week, uh, Conjurman and I talked about this as well. Um, we've been getting all of these job offer people, career change people. It's been really interesting. Um, what with, you know, the inflation, the recession, the stock market, up, down, sideways, and, um, you know, it's been, you know, whether people want to be remote, whether they want to be in person, whether they're going to move to London, who knows? You know, it's very interesting because, and I'm sure I am not reading for the same people you are, I've been doing almost nonstop um, career readings on those who schedule ahead with me. At Hoodoo Psychics, where I also read, I get still my normal, what I call my flyby uh, love crisis, you know, somebody just had a situation and they're just going to call Hoodoo Psychics right then. And those are short readings, often um, about love emergencies. But the long readings are all about career. So I second that. Whatever is going on, it's it's in the wind. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for that update. Um out here in California, we are having a very unusual weather event. It's raining cats and dogs, and it's only mid-September. If you were born, raised, or currently live in California, you're probably going, what? Because we only have two seasons out here. We have a Mediterranean climate, so we have a rainy season and a dry season. Problem is, our rainy seasons have been very lacking in precipitation for the last number of years. We're in the midst of what's called a historic drought, um, and there have been such, you know, in the 1700s and the 1200s. I mean, it happens, right? It's not the end of the world. It'll, you know, even in the 1970s, we had a really bad drought for a few years. This is a bad, bad, bad drought. But all of a sudden, some crazy, I don't know what, uh, storm uh, flew in, and it's raining in September. But it doesn't usually rain in September, and we don't know what's going on. They're even predicting, and as just as I said, it's raining cats and dogs. The sound um, upped the volume like by two. Now, now it's going up three. I mean, it's now it's sounding like a Midwest downpour. It's crazy out there. Mm. We usually have gentle falling rain here. We have mm-hmm. we have drizzles and we have um, soaking rains. This is kaplop kaplop, uh, terribly strong rains, and we also have strong winds. So. I don't know what it has to do with um, the price of beans in China, but it's really crazy out here. So, um, But we're on a hill. We'll all be safe. It won't flood us. Um, good luck to the people who are in areas where the wildfires burned off the tree cover because they're expected to get wow. some mudslides. Oh, boy. So mm. cross our fingers for them. All right. Well, the other thing that's been going on here, and I just want to give a little quick uh, shout out to the Lucky Mojo Curio Company. I've been working on the Lucky Mojo Forum. Somebody wrote in and asked, "Why don't you guys do discounts?" And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, have we not told people we do discount package deals?" I mean, I thought we've been doing them since you know 1994, but anyway. So I realized when I looked over the Lucky Mojo Forum, I hadn't really made a point of pointing them out. So Nagashiva and I have been spending. Um, a few minutes every day, putting up a bit more on our discount deals. So if you want to know about them, we'll probably end up with a web page with all of them listed on it. 
but um, we realize we've mm-hmm. kind of let our clients down because they don't know what a discount deal is. They think we don't do discounts. Um, we do not do discounts based on the amount of money you spend. It's on the kind of products you buy and how they cluster together in the shop. Because if we just took it off the money and you ordered one of this and one of that and one of this, and we had to walk down all the aisles picking onesies, it takes too much time. But if you order 12 oils, 12 bath crystals, or whatever it might be, six herbs, they're all together in the shop. Pick, 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 put them in the box, and you get a discount because we don't have to walk so far. So our mm-hmm. discount deals are based on type of product. We have discount deals on books, powders, incense, you name it. There are many, many discount deals. And so I just wanted to let people know that I really overlooked advertising them. And... Um, I'm thanking um, an ancestral spirit, not mine directly. (laughs) The spirit of Melvin Powers inspired this. And um, thank you, Melvin Powers. (laughs) All right, so what's new in your world, Conjurman? Well, things are busy as as usual. Uh, There is definitely a, um, I would say, a putting out fires and skepticism tone uh, for a lot of readings uh, recently. Uh, and I think Cousin Joshua was talking about it. We talked about it last week, whereas we talked about specifically in cases of love. Um, but there is, there seems to be a, a real doubt or hesitation in regards to the future and a real sense of like, there's a fire and I need to put it out immediately. And it is interesting to see these because they do come in waves and they do come in sort of cycles and sometimes they show up seasonally. Uh, I always joke that the summer is like the summer of love because you get an uptick of love clients. Um, and so, like, you do certainly see it seasonally, some of it's based off of astrological weather. There's a variety of different reasons for it, but there's been a lot of clients that have come into this sort of skepticism, cynicism, but also trying to put out fire sense, whether it's in regards to career or money or love or whatever it is. There's a real doubt uh, about the future, and I wonder if part of it is because of the times we're living in, uh, you know, we're living a pandemic sort of rages, on, but a significant chunk of our leadership and, and, and the people around sort of decided that it's over. It's so not really going to pay too much attention to it anymore. Even, you know, the death toll rises and the infection rates rise. Also things like, like polio showing up in New York and monkeypox. And, mm. and then you have the economic crisis. Like, I don't know if it's just, we live in but there's definitely like a cynicism that has been found in mm-hmm. clients like a doubt towards the future even when you say positive things like oh i do see love coming into your life three months time they're like are you sure mm-hmm. i don't i don't know if i see love coming man. really or they get points, they get a really cool offer from a job and their immediate instinct is is this really true cynicism, a, a doubt about the future that has emerged. And I'm not only to say that if historians of the future are sitting, please go and look at the notes of readers during this time because they're going to give you probably a clearer example of what people are going through emotionally and in their lives. Uh, it's practice diary, if you will. It's a really great way of finding it because the reader notes some, some days looking at them and they're going to be quite fascinating to track both the conditions that people are dealing with in their lives but also their emotional state 
uh, as things are. Uh, I should mention, for those of you who are looking for a little bit of hope, I do have two reading slots uh, available. Uh, they're all booked up for for October, but two are still available. But there is reason to hope. Uh, there's always reason to hope. As dark as the, as the night gets, dawn will always follow. So just, to, just putting it out there that there is cause, there's reason to be cynical, there's reason to be doubtful, but there's always reason to be hopeful as well. So spirit, my friends. <laughs> well, uh, I just want to take a moment here to say hi to a couple of people in the uh, chat. Um, I see um, Angela L. I see uh, Doc Murphy, Doc, uh, Dr. Sweets, Heidi Holton, Lopezy Fofezi, uh, Tony I. The person I can never pronounce, whether I whether it's Tigav or Tiagave or whatever it is, and, and uh, Wickway. Oh, Wickway is up. So hi, folks, and welcome to the show. <coughs> Sorry, I got a little. Uh, scratchy throat here. Oh, someone says Tayaga? Tayaga? <laughs> okay, what, whatever it is. I'm so sorry. I will learn that name. Um, so today we have a guest who has brought us a topic, as always happens, and our guest is Deborah Voith, Bewitching Bee. Deborah is a member of AIR. And uh, also on Hoodoo Psychics. You can catch her there when she signs in and gets online. And uh, welcome to the show, Deborah. Nice to have you here. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on here with you and Conjure Man and Cousin Joshua. (laughs) I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah. Well, you bring us the topic of ancestors, and it's something that we've Mm -hmm. talked about before, but we always everybody has a different take on it. As usual, I'm just mm-hmm. going to give a little bit of a, an intro to the topic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there are many theories about who or what an ancestor is. There are people who are very rigidly um, genetically compressed to think that ancestors are only your DNA ancestors, and they are welcome to that belief. There are people who are a little more open and they say your ancestors are those who raised you and including those who raised those people who may not be genetic ancestors. In other words, uh, um, an uncle who you did not descend from who raised you as an ancestor. And then they might even go so far as to say a stepfather. But see, there's these layers of what who's an ancestor, Well, maybe Mm -hmm. a stepfather is an ancestor. And in some tribal groups, there are founding members. They are known to be founding members. And they become the ancestors of the tribe. So um, the uh, Jewish people, for instance, are often said to be uh, the children of Israel. But they may not all be the children of Israel genetically. But they are the children of Israel in in a uh, in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. So, um, who is an ancestor? Is question number one. Question number two is, can we kick anyone out? In other words, you find out that your great great uncle was 
um, Charles Guiteau, the man who assassinated President Garfield, and now you don't want him to be your ancestor. How do you kick out an ancestor? It could be an ancient ancestor, and it could be, you know, your um, sex-abusing stepfather, or, God forbid, your sex-abusing father. And how do you kick out an ancestor? Then there's also... um, how do you accept as an ancestor someone to whom you are not tribally related, to whom you are not genetically related, and you may not even be culturally related, but they seem like an ancestor to you. My favorite example of this is Valentina Burton, the fortune teller of Dallas, has an ancestor mm-hmm. altar, and she posted it at AIR, the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers. Here's my ancestor altar. Mm-hmm. And right on it was a picture of of Pixie Smith, Pamela Coleman Smith, the lady oh. who drew the, the 1910 uh, Rider-Waite-Smith tarot. And she just had her there. She's my ancestor because that's the tarot mm-hmm. deck that Valentina Burton reads with. And she has adopted... Pixie Smith as an ancestress, and Pixie was a lesbian who had no children. So mm-hmm. we are all tarot readers who use the the Rider Waite Smith deck are in a way her descendants, and we can adopt her. So you can adopt an as an ancestor someone who had no literal descendants, if that is your cultural um, permitted way. Of course, there are people who say, "I love that." Yeah, there are people who say no one can practice Buddhism unless they come from a, a Asian background. And then there are people who say anyone can practice Buddhism. There are people who say no one can um, do um, stregeria unless they are of proven Italian heritage. So there are people who consider systems to be closed and people who look at that and go, no, that's not true. And as I just did a little shout out to my figurative ancestor Melvin Powers, um, probably distantly related to him. I know he was Jewish, and all Jews Mm -hmm. who survived all the things we've been put through are about six cousins or closer. So very likely Melvin Powers is my cousin, but that goes Mm -hmm. to the idea of sideways ancestors, collateral ancestors, ancestors that go not directly upward, but up and out. So that's what I have to bring to this topic. Now I'm going to turn it all over to Deborah, and she's going to tell us on how to work with ancestors. So take it away. All right. Well, um, the way that I um, I work with ancestors in several different ways, and I I hear you like considering the bond that you have, I don't think it always has to be a blood bond. I think that, um, I think really the strongest bond is the bond of love. And so I've always heard that love transcends all. And so even if it's somebody that maybe I didn't know, um, maybe I would read about um, Pamela Coleman Smith's life and, and I work with the cards that she created and, doing those things and just, you know, uh, learning about her and her life would make me, you know, actually love her and, you know, feel bonded to her. Um, I think I've done that with um, with a couple of different things. I, um, 
some of what I do is really, um, I have a very um, Catholic background, even though I'm not really, I'm not like a church-attending Catholic. Um, I go to the Catholic church maybe a couple times a year, and, but then I also go to the spiritualist church a few times a year over in West Dallas. And um, I feel affiliated with um, just spirit in general. I, I don't think that I really belong to any specific religion, uh, but I feel like I, I love hearing and listening to other people talk about their uh, ways of faith or practices. Um, like, um, for instance, okay, I, I, um, a couple of years ago I had um, a seance and um, everybody left and I had, well, let me back up. I had this seance and the year before my nephew had died. And he used to do the drumming at a lot of our uh, rituals and different, different things that we did back then. And um, the friends that came over for the seance, my friend Sandy, who had known Michael pretty well, said, um, have you seen Michael lately? And I thought, oh, shit. she doesn't know. And I said, no, Sandy, he, he died, you know, last year. And she's like, no, that can't be. I just saw him when I went over to the Native American church, I saw him walking in the hall and I called out to him and he went up the stairs and then I couldn't find him. I was like, no, Sandy, he's gone. And so we had the seance and I thought, you know, that I was so sure that Michael would come through, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he didn't. <laughs> and then after everybody left, it was kind of unusual because um, my husband was gone for the weekend. And um, so I was here by myself with the dog <laughs> And but I still had the candles lit on the table. And I was just sitting, you know, sitting on the couch, um, just kind of reflecting on the evening. And the candles started crackling a bunch. And the flames were really dancing high. And I was like, who's here? And my nephew, Michael, came through. And I heard his voice as clear as could be. He was like, Debbie, why don't you have me on your ancestor altar? And I was like, oh, shit, he's right, I don't. And um, so anyway, the next day I put his photo on the, on the altar. Um, and I just feel like I have a lot of uh, connection, even though he was actually my nephew through my first marriage. Um, so he wasn't like blood connected to me, but he was connected to me through marriage. And we were very close to each other. Um, I also have uh, a good friend that died, um, who was godmother to one of my daughters and she was not blood connected either. And she, I talked to her all the time. And so I, um, I don't think that a person has to be blood related to be, um, considered an ancestor. I, I always think of them as like the dearly departed, <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And so my my dearly departed um, all you know end up on my ancestor altar, unless I forgot like Michael, <laughs> and then I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh no, let me put him on there. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, that's um, a, what you just what you just said there makes sense. This is what what I call elective ancestors. Um, mm-hmm. Your your way of saying it, the dearly departed, is is more uh, 
maybe more romantic. <laughs> I have my moon in Aquarius, so I call them elective ancestors. Um, and there, there is a um, a kind of a, a sense here that if they consent, they will be an ancestor too, and they may be on many people's altar. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think that now a whole bunch of people are going to rush out and get a picture of Pixie Smith <laughs> and put it on their house. Um She deserves it. She does. You know. Um, so yeah, that's a that's an interesting way to work. Uh, Conjurement, tell me about ancestor veneration and ancestor traditions in the culture in which you were born. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a very similar to you, I have an approach in which uh, ancestors fall into different categories, but I, I've got a sort of, as usual, a systematic categorization that I follow. So uh, for <laughs> me, there are, four, there are four types of ancestors that exist, and this is commonly found in the Near East, uh, and a bunch of ancient cultures share this. There's the blood ancestor, which is related by blood. These are the people that are going to be most likely present in your life, whether you petition them or not. They have some vested interest <laughs> in their descendants. And they tend to exert themselves by being either an individual that was incredibly powerful, like they were the head of the family, or they're very recent, meaning like a grandmother or grandfather that has recently passed, versus like a sixth uncle, eight generations removed, right? Like that, less likely to be present, but it's still possible. <laughs> so there's a sort of hierarchy that exists within blood ancestors. Then there are what are known as communal ancestors. This is the second category. They're related by identity or association. So whatever group you are part of, there is an ancestor, as you rightly pointed out. Founders are often in this role. The founders of religions, the founders of tribes, the founders oh. of groups. Sometimes even the founders of nations can act as a communal ancestor. For example, whether Americans consciously are aware of it or not, they invoke the founding fathers. There's a reason they're called the founding fathers, because it operates like an ancestral cult. It is the ancient cult of heroes, full of mythology and ritual and rite and symbolism, even if no one is actively going, oh, we're going to practice occult ancestor worship. In fact, if you tell an evangelical that, they'll probably lose their shit. But on the whole, that is ancestral worship. Communal ancestors exist. This is useful because you can petition communal ancestors in very specific situations. If you're joining a job or you're joining some type of industry, it might have a communal ancestor that you can invoke. For those of you that are in the world of universities and academia, buildings are communal, <laughs> named after communal ancestors. So so-and-so building, Dodge building, etc. That is named after a communal ancestor you can work with if you want an entryway into that industry or into that profession or whatnot. Then there are spiritual ancestors. This is the third category, which Ms. Cat was talking about, like Pamela Coleman Smith. These are elected. These are people who share your spiritual path. They are mentors. They are people that may not be related to you by blood, but these are generally uh, adopted. In, for initiatic traditions, they're generally found in the initiation ritual. So if you're, for example, part of the African diasporic traditions, many of the muertos, those are spirits of the dead that come into your life, 
are spiritual ancestors. They're ancestors related by blood, but they have elected to be part of your life because they're going to guide the path that you're on, where they've walked a similar path before you. So they can be diviners, they can be technicians, they can be firefighters, whatever profession, vocation, spiritual path you're on, the spiritual ancestor will work with you. Then there's the fourth and final category, and that is called non-human ancestors. These differ from spirit guides. Spirit guides guide you and they teach you. These take on a familial relationship, meaning that they are in all instances basically like a blood ancestor without having any human or blood connection with you. These generally fall in the category of plants, animals, and in the Middle Eastern and North African tradition, the jinn. So jinn can mm-hmm. often be ancestors, and there will be people who will say, oh, so-and-so jinn watches out for our family. They're not related by blood. They don't have that connection, but there's an ancestral link, even mm-hmm. if it's a non-human entity. And the, recognizing these four categories will determine how you work with them, what type of in bring into your life, what type of guidance that you bring into your life, but also how to deal with them when they become troublesome because not all, uh, all ancestors are welcome. So there is a way in which you categorize them and that can shape your ancestral work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that was that was a nice breakdown, very nice breakdown. I want to go back to category three, the spiritual mm-hmm. ancestors who are elective and widely revered. Um, Doc Murphy yeah. mentioned Zora Neale Hurston being one of her uh, spiritual ancestors because she's a founder of American Anthropology, and Doc Murphy mm-hmm. is an anthropologist, right? Mm-hmm. And this this category is where we find the most um, gatekeeping and hostile uh, kickback from people who say, you can't have Zora Neale Hurston because she's my um, literal uh, tribal ancestor or she's my collateral ancestor through cousinhood or something. So you can't have her. And this Mm -hmm. is a real uh, problem. Um, these uh, disputes over who gets to be who else's ancestor, elimination of people from those who are allowed to venerate your ancestor. For instance, can a non-Catholic venerate St. Dimphna, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so these are issues that come up a lot. I have no guidance for people here. I tell people, take it easy, take a deep breath. If someone hates on you, just um, mm-hmm. breathe, just do a little bit of a, put your uh, left hand on your right shoulder, your right hand on your left shoulder, that's crossed conditions, uh, sweep downward and outward and say, I remove this condition from me. You don't have to be at the mercy of your haters, so just let it be. Mm-hmm. And and um, if somebody is your spiritual ancestor and someone tells you that's impossible, um, you can just let it go. It's going, mm-hmm. it's going, uh-huh. it's going. It's not there anymore. Well, this is why so, I think this, these categories can be useful because what is a spiritual ancestor to you may be a blood ancestor for another. So you simply have different relationships, right? Right. Like this is where I think if we can think this way, it helps us to be a little bit more dynamic in approach. That is your blood ancestor. For me, it's an elected ancestor. I recognize that these relationships are different. Plus, I think right. that we're, we're all connected in spirit. I mean, we're here in body, but I think that our spirits are all connected to each other. Right. 
So I've I've had this happen to me as as well, in that I have had um, a strong um, ancestral relationship with someone not of my bloodline, and I've also seen mm-hmm. people not of my bloodline form tremendously strong relationships with people of my bloodline. I mean, there's a whole religion called Christianity, right? And I look at those people and I'm going, my gosh, they all have a personal relationship with my cousin. (laughs) Um, That's, you know, but I had to learn early on to let them have it, you know, Mm -hmm. because um, they were sincere, you know, they were sincere. The strange mm-hmm. thing was, of course, when they told me I couldn't have a relationship with my own cousin. That was not good. So, again, I just had to cross my arms and put it up and then whoop, swish it out and let it go. Your opinion, mm-hmm. none of my own. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my my major advice on which ancestors go on your altar or, or if you even have an altar, which ancestors go on your in your mind is... It's your world, and they're just passing through, okay? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. don't let anyone bully you into saying you must have, you know, a crazy Uncle Norman must be an ancestor, even though you knew he was a pedophile. (laughs) You don't have to. Right, right. If they tell you you must not venerate Jesus because you're Jewish, tell him, but he's an ancestor, right? So I can venerate mm-hmm. him if I want to. There will always be people mm-hmm. trying to gatekeep and regulate yeah. who your ancestors are. Okay? So just but remember right. this is your life. Okay? Now I'd like to get to the next thing which is the idea about ancestor veneration, how we do it. So Deborah, can you t- lead us mm-hmm. into that? How do we venerate ancestors and what are some of the traditions because of course they vary from culture to culture and person to person mm-hmm. um, well I think that I do uh, like um, a lot of the probably a lot of the practices that have been talked about um, I, I have an ancestor altar um, I do have graveyard dirt from certain ancestors um, that I ritually collected and communicated with them that this was okay to take it and to use it. And um, and I use that as, you know, a focal or a, um, a connection piece, like on my altar. Um, a couple of the spirits, uh, ancestor spirits, I've kind of made like ancestor boxes for where, um, well, I know with my one grandmother, one grandma is from Missouri, but the other grandma was from Poland. And she died when I was like four years old. And so I never, um, I did get a little bit of her dirt, but I didn't, um, I put it, I made a little spirit box, and she was uh, very Catholic, so I put little crosses. I kind of decorated it the way that I thought that she would like it. And then I wanted to have, like, um, like in my mom's box, I've got a, a brooch that she had when she was alive. But with uh, Grandma, I didn't really have anything of hers, but I knew because she was from Poland that it was, those painted eggs were very traditional. And so mm-hmm. I got a couple of really pretty, um, brightly colored painted eggs, and I put those in there um, as, a you know, just uh, a point to have uh, for something that I think that she would like and appreciate. And then I usually put, like, flowers. Um, 
but not always, depending on the season and stuff like that. But I always put like a dish of um, water, clear, pure water, um, and replace that like probably every couple of days. Um, and, and burning candles, um, I've always, I'm always burning a white candle for <laughs> on the ancestor altar. And I love using the ancestor altar because I what I'll do is I'll sit in front of it and kind of um, meditate, and that's where I go go into vision and um, and actually you know enter the void and, and communicate with my with my ancestors there. Well, that's that's really nice. I I um, tend to um, use photos when I can. I do one thing, um, and when um, the Jewish New Year comes, Rosh Hashanah, I have one mm-hmm. ancestor who had a, a small painting made of himself holding a placard. He was the um, the Barnas, or what some people call the Parnas, depending on what part of Europe you're from, what what mm-hmm. dialect of Yiddish you speak. Uh, he was the, the Barnas of his um, synagogue, which is to say similar to a sexton or a treasurer, kind Ooh. of a com- combined treasurer and groundskeeper. He didn't actually do the groundskeeping, but he paid for it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so he mm-hmm. was usually a, a, a person of substance in the community. He was not a rabbi or anything like that. But he mm-hmm. had a, a painting made of himself holding a placard that says, Happy New Year on it. In gold, um, and so I post that on Facebook every year. Oh, um, so because the idea is to just to show this is my ancestor, and he meant that mm-hmm. to be commemorated. Who else would go and have a a painting? This was in the 19th century. Have a painting wow. of himself that says "Happy New Year." <laughs> so, wow, that's very in, cool. In Hebrew, in Hebrew, yeah. So we all have our own ways of celebrating, and for for that, for me, is Mm -hmm. to carry his life and his family tradition forward. My cousins always, you know, give me a little heart on Facebook when I do it. They know (laughs) who it is, right? So, um, Contraman, what do you do for an ancestor altar? So a couple things. First, we should note that not everyone has an ancestor altar, but they still work with their ancestors. Uh, and so that's mm-hmm. important to recognize that there are other ways of interfacing with ancestors. People do, for example, dream work. People maintain festivals, uh, communal festivals, mm-hmm. for example, uh, that commemorate the dead, that commemorate their passing, uh, their anniversaries, anniversaries of their death are commemorated in a lot of cultures rather than keeping a ongoing day-to-day ancestral altar. So there's a variety mm-hmm. of ways of interfacing, working with, and invoking the ancestor. So no one should feel like, oh, I've got to start an ancestor altar right away. Find what your culture does to <laughs> venerate the dead, to work with the past, to work with those that have came before you. Is there a way, is there a funerary rite? Is there an anniversary funerary rite? Almost every culture has something of this sort. So some cultures have, for example, second burials. Some cultures hold a feast on the day uh, that the person passed away, others go and visit the cemetery of the person that has passed on their anniversary. Whole tradition, find where your culture is, what they do, what they practice, and develop something alone there. And you can have a combination of cultural and personal practices. I always tell people that the first thing you should do before you even set up an altar is reach out to the spirit of that person to see if they want to be part of your altar. So key, if you, before you set up an altar to your great-grandmother, you might want to just create a space that says, 
I invoke my ancestors, those that wish to be heard. Please make yourself known and then offer a cup of water and a white candle and then maybe keep whatever religious text is associated with your family and your religion. Uh, and then be mindful of your dreams. That is the way which most ancestors will uh, really introduce themselves first and foremost. Dreams and smells are the two really common uh, features of ancestor works. So you might smell your great uncle's favorite tobacco, or you might smell coffee or tea or something along those or their favorite food or roses. Those are all very common indications that ancestors are present. And of course, making sure that you mind your dreams. They will come to you in dreams. And then build the communication slowly. They'll tell you what they want. I really want coffee. I really want tea. I want a <laughs> shot of whiskey. And so that will help you to start building that altar, building that connection, giving it to them. And the more you build that connection, the stronger their presence will be in your life, the more you can start to work with them, ask them for insight, ask them for help with divination, ask them for help with various petitions. But you start first with an invitation Open yourself up to communication, reasonably keeping yourself spiritually cleansed, being mindful of trickster spirits, testing the spirits that come before you, opening yourself up to that communication, and then building that line of communication. They may say that they prefer to have white on their altar, so you will decorate it in white. Others will say that they prefer fresh flowers and floral colors, so you'll decorate it in that way. But you build it in a relationship of mutual respect and mutual communication. It it should not be one of demanding, and it should not be one where you jump deep into the deep end where you go, all right, I'm going to invoke my great uncle so-and-so. Start by first seeing who is willing, who is present, opening up that space, opening up the lines of communication, and building little by little. Ancestor work is gradual, and ancestor work is a lifelong process, spiritual practice of commemoration. It's a cultural practice of commemoration. It's not spell work. You're not doing a one-off candle. It's an ongoing thing. So be patient with it and build that relationship in a sense of mutual honesty and transparency, and it will be rewarding. But you start first by opening yourself up to say, who is willing to work with me? Who is All right. So um, one of the major times that um, the dead are venerated is at uh, the European Halloween or Samhain, right? Mm -hmm. Is that not true? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we're not, we're not there. Yeah, sometimes the Day of the Dead, Night of the Dead, All Souls, all, <laughs> all of those things. That is a major time to reference the mass of the ancestors or the dead. And that will be coming up um, you know, later this year. But it is... Uh, a European tradition that has been adopted by people all around the world and mm -hmm. the idea of um, uh, holding a, a veneration for the dead that is serious has of course over time become comedic and now there's spooks and, and then for some <laughs> reason um, bloody horror movies got incorporated into it and so instead of mm. a time to venerate the dead and hold seances, now it's all about going to haunted houses where we see uh, the representations of people with the severed limbs and blood all over yeah. so it's 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 true and it's kind of a ruination mm -hmm. of what was once a lovely holiday. Mm -hmm. Another holiday that is used to memorialize the dead is called Memorial Day and this mm -hmm. is um, 
the 31st of May, and this was a secular holiday that was instituted to uh, memorialize the war dead, and it's sometimes called Decoration Day because it was a day to decorate the graves of soldiers. But it also has a practical, realistic reason for being at that time. It is during the haying season Mm -hmm. in the American Midwest and South. And the uh, graveyards will become overgrown if you don't hay them, if they're lawn, if they're grass. And so mm-hmm. holding Decoration Day at May 31st is really convenient. You've got the haying rig out, and you've got your scythes or whatever it is you're using. Flowers are in bloom. It's very appropriate to the prairie nature of the Midwest and uh, the Upper South. So just saying. Um, then there's the... the, the um, the idea of November 11th, which is a Veterans Day, which was the end of World War oh, I, yeah. was commemorated. So that one is usually celebrated with poppies, because in uh, Flanders Field, mm-hmm. the poppies grow. And so the um, one of the things that impressed people going to the battles in France was that, the ba- that in the fields in France, there were red poppies growing amongst the wheat fields. And so that came to symbolize the blood of the fallen warriors. And so when I was young, uh, little uh, crepe paper poppies were sold by disabled vets on the streets. And still in, in England, mm-hmm. it's still very popular to buy up and wear a poppy for the war dead. So there's not just mm-hmm. one date where the dead are commemorated, but I just thought I'd mention mm-hmm. those are some of the most popular. Oh, yes. In, in the Jewish tradition, yes. there's one more, which is called the Yarsite, mm-hmm. which is the date of the death of someone. But if you live yeah. long enough, you'll be celebrating a Yarsite mm-hmm. every day of the year. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, this past Veterans Day, I had um, given a donation to um, some veterans that were sitting outside the store and got the little red poppies and, and hung them on um, my dad's um Photo. I have a photo of him actually in his army uniform from World War II, um, and that's like, yeah, I light a candle every Veterans Day. That's a, a really great way to um, venerate any mm-hmm. of the people that were soldiers. Yeah. So these people that we venerate, and in particular mm-hmm. when venerating the spirit of soldiers, there's a kind of a mixed bag here. Because, Mm -hmm. of course, these were people who answered the call of duty and protected us and so forth. But they also contain a larger than average percentage of people who were so damaged and sociopathic that it's sometimes shocking to find out what they actually Mm -hmm. did during the war. And Mm -hmm. again, if you find that, you know, your beloved uncle, uh, Charlie um, was part mm-hmm. of the uh, massacre in Vietnam, melee massacre. Mm-hmm. You can take him off of your altar. It's okay. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because you don't have to venerate him uh, just because he was a dead veteran. You can also, and this brings us to the next stage of this work, how do you mm-hmm. forgive and elevate ancestors who mm-hmm. were damaged people or sociopathic, mentally ill, or... Um, socially inappropriate. So, uh, Deborah, what do you do to to connect with those ancestors, elevate them, and build a relationship? That's a, that's a great question. Um, well, I think that um, when I'm talking about, like, the, uh, the intranquils, 
Okay, first of all, let me just say that I think that anytime you have somebody in your ancestral line who is very tranquil or very um, dark and um, not uh, not settled, uh, very restless spirit, I think that lots of times that can filter down to you unless you do some kind of distancing from them or do some kind of elevation for them. And so I think that um, with certain um, intranquil spirits that are in my family line, there was a couple of suicides and an overdose. And um, and then there was just somebody who was just an intranquil person in life. Um, and those are the types of spirits that I'm talking about um, working with and, and, and raising them up. Because I think that whatever that stuff is, I think it can filter down to the present day and also filter down to, to future generations. And so I think if there's any healing and upliftment that can be done, I think that that's the best way to go. There are, of course, some of those that are like the darkest, unreachable um, spirits. And, and those, you know, that's really, there's really not anything to be done with them except for maybe cut any kind of soul ties. Yeah, I I hear you on that. There are definitely mm. some who are unreachable, and yeah. um, that is um, the first thing you said was so wise. Keep yourself safe before you mm. deal with the intranquil, dark energy, restless, or criminal ancestors. Oh, they yeah. are there, mm-hmm. and they may want to attach to you because you mm-hmm. are a descendant. But keep yourself safe first. Some are think, unreachable. Yes, I think one of the best ways to do that is to surround yourself with um, your benevolent ancestral spirits because they will totally hold that person out so that they are not mm-hmm. able to affect you. Mm-hmm. In Virginian Conjure, when we encounter um, spirits that are restless, ancestors in particular, I'm not talking about the evil ones, but I'm talking about the ones mm-hmm. that are troublesome, that are difficult, that are heavy-handed in life, then mm-hmm. we perform what is known as a mock funeral or ghost laying. And there's two ways of oh. doing this. If they already have a go- grave, you go to the grave mm-hmm. and you re- basically redo the funeral, uh, mock the funeral, because funerary rites are about helping the spirit transition. And so you say mm-hmm. prayers over and cool water is used. And it is important that the water is cool and the water mm-hmm. is then poured over the headstone. And the idea is that this will cool the spirit off while mm-hmm. it and allowing it to be in its new home. If you, have, if you don't have access to the grave, let's say they're very far away, the grave is very far away, or this is a, an ancestor that may not have been buried or their burial was lost, then you can create a mock burial. You go to the cemetery and basically mm-hmm. do the exact same thing with an unclaimed plot of land, but you dedicate that plot of land to this ah. ancestor, perform the funeral, say the prayers, pour out the cool water. This was actually probably the, one of the most common no, I like uh, services provided by Virginian conjurers with ghost laying. It, particularly mm-hmm. when a mother passed uh, and a child mm-hmm. was still around, it was believed that the mother would continue to haunt the child, not because she was uh, harmed, but because she was overbearing, she was worried, she was nervous about her child. And so ghost laying mm-hmm. was very 
situation. Uh, I visited, uh, I went with her several times with my teachers with on ghostling uh, services. They're very beautiful, very profound, but they're generally done mm. for ancestors that aren't evil, but simply are heavy-handed, difficult, um, or maybe mm-hmm. anxious and need a little bit of help transitioning. They say, okay, you stay out of the house. You go to your new home. This is where you mm-hmm. remain at rest. This is um, this is really a, a, a great idea, and this brings to mind uh, something that I encountered with a man who was not from Virginia, but from mm-hmm. Oklahoma, and he was African American and Cherokee, and mm-hmm. he taught me how to make a Blackhawk bucket for your unknown Native ancestors. Now. I don't think that he really understood. I had no unknown Native mm. ancestors. <laughs> but um, but he taught me how to do it. And you made a, a bucket with graveyard dirt, but it was unclaimed graveyard dirt, just as Conjurman said, uh, okay. not from someone's grave. And mm-hmm. um, he called it general graveyard dirt, from the general part of the graveyard. And you okay. put this in the bucket. You put a statue of what he called an Indian, in other words, an, an, an Indian. Mm-hmm. It could be a statue of Black Hawk, the actual figures of Black Hawk, but he used more like a carnival chalkware, uh, mm-hmm. you know, spray brushed, airbrushed, you know what I'm talking about, an Indian, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, whatever it might be. And you put that there. And then he said you watered that with your tears. Mm-hmm. And he said, you cried for the loss of your native ancestors. And you put your tears into the dirt, but you also poured cool water in. And eventually, just you, he said, you could just cry over it three times. And after that, you would just always pour a little bit of water in it as an offering. And that became uh, what I call a portable uh, uh, grave. It was the grave of your native ancestors. Once you had done this mm-hmm. for a while, a year, for instance, uh, it would be just as good as graveyard dirt, and you could then use that graveyard dirt for your mm-hmm. uh, Native ancestors to help. In other words, if you needed, uh, and of course what he was calling upon Native ancestors for was for being a scout, for being brave, things that are sort of stereotyped, oh. but yet that was what he felt was his Cherokee ancestors were, oh, wow. resistant Cheers. to the government. Wow. And so, Cheers, but so powerful. after... Yeah, mm. after a year of veneration, that graveyard dirt is just as good as if it came from their grave. Oh, wow, that that's awesome. I mean, that's a yeah. wonderful, wonderful spell. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> if you if you go to the um, Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers uh, website and go look under Spirit Guides, you'll see a picture of the Black Hawk bucket I made uh, years later, mm. following his mm. instructions. And what was wow. interesting to me was I, I had it at the shop. It's still there, actually. I had it at the shop for years, and I would tell people about it. And people who were part Native would actually start crying and put wow. their tears in it. And um, I felt um, that there was a, something missing in their lives that they wanted to connect with those Native ancestors. So that was mm-hmm. interesting to, um, to, to do, although it was something that was... Uh, talk to me, not from my family. But it speaks to the, the wow. sort of expansive idea of ancestors and how to work with ancestors that may not necessarily be blood ancestors. There's only mm-hmm. really great traditions that exist within cultures, within spiritual practice, within folk magic, about how to mm-hmm. work with spirits and entities that may have been alive once 
that may not necessarily have been your direct ancestor. And so like the, the spirit bucket, this instance very clearly tied to Blackhawk, we find spirit mm-hmm. buckets in a variety of traditions to invoke the spirits of other entities, of other uh, spirits of the dead that are not necessarily direct ancestors. So in many ways, it's almost like the reverse ghost laying that's happening here. Rather than going and telling the spirit, go away, you're inviting the spirit Mm -hmm. in, going, this is your new house, and we're going to keep you close by. So you can see that the logic here is still very similar, this idea Mm -hmm. of drawing Mm -hmm. the spirit into the dirt. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I love that. Mhm. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the idea that that graveyard dirt would then be equivalent mm-hmm. to an ancestral graveyard dirt. And that brings us to another aspect of working with ancestors, and that is working with actual physical graveyard dirt or um remnant mementos. Uh, just to give an example, um Wearing the wedding ring of a deceased grandmother when you get married is mm-hmm. to put on you something of that ancestress and wear it. And it's very common for mm-hmm. people to wear ancestral rings. It's very, really very common. Um, ancestral graveyard dirt to sprinkle to for protection, very common mm-hmm. in a number of traditions. And also there are the uses, and and Conjurman mentioned aroma, fragrance, smell, Mm -hmm. Uh, using the same brand of perfume or cologne that an ancestor used um, Mm -hmm. or the same brand of tobacco as an offering to get that aroma in your vicinity. Those are very important Mm -hmm. ways of um, not just establishing connection for the purpose of veneration, but actually using Mm -hmm. in a magical spellcasting context. Right, right. Wow. And the power, any any sort of powerful perfume that the ancestor had, had or a scent that was associated with them, spraying that or keeping that on the altar is a great way of building connections. And, of course, Ms. Kat, as uh, rightly knows, there's all sorts of uh, perfumes that are associated with ancestors uniquely. Florida mm-hmm. water, Canega water, mm-hmm. all have strong connections. In the Middle East, rose water is often uh, used to connect with ancestors. Uh, but if <laughs> you don't have access to those or those, you don't want to use the same sort of all-purpose ones, if you know your ancestor or your grandmother or your great-grandmother had a particular scent, use that. Oh. Use that. Now, mm-hmm. do you think it's that if you had a recipe that was your grandmother's and it was very like unique to your grandmother's, and as you were um, cooking it or baking it, that aroma mm. that would fill the house. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm yeah. wondering if that would, could be <laughs> another yes. way. Yes, in fact, um, the ancestral Absolutely. recipes, the ancestral cooking recipes are very, very powerful. The fragrance and the taste of them bring back mm-hmm. the memory of the ancestor and will often reunite people who were separated because they have inherited the ancestral or tribal food recipe. And that's a wonderful way, you know, to make grandmother's Christmas cookies or a a great-grandmother's Rosh Hashanah honey cake. All right. Let's turn this this over (laughs) To, oh, and one more shout-out. Kananga water is really good. All right. Let's turn this over to Cousin Joshua. 
Support for this program is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com, and by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org, and by Hoodoo Psychic, the first Psychic line run exclusively by Hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with worker instantly. Call 1-888-4-HOODOO or visit hoodoopsychics.com. And by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to meet with today's client. Our client today is A, who is not calling in, but is in our chat. A hails from Romania and indicates that they have not had any readings on this particular situation. A writes, I am supposed to go abroad to work, and I want to know if it is a good idea for my financial situation. A is clearly a regular listener because they included their birthday, January 2nd, indicating they are a Capricorn with Virgo rising. Turning it over to you, Ms. Cat. All right. Well, hello, A. Um, so it's it's wonderful that you're listening in chat, uh, and I can understand why you didn't want to phone in from Romania. So um, I'm going to do your first reading, and then Deborah will do your second reading, and then Conjurman will give you some root work based on our readings. Okay. So, um, the fact that you're a Capricorn with Virgo rising says to me that you're very earth sign oriented. And this is a person who's practical. And Virgo rising uh, indicates an attention to detail. But Virgo is a mutable sign and is changeable. And so, although on the surface you may have somewhat of a changeability, you may want to move and around because all the mutable signs love to, you know, change their occupation, change their way of thinking every few years, or change their particular interest, their academic or obsessive or hobby or music interest into um float and change um, but being a Capricorn you do very well in hierarchical um, businesses where you are a member of a team who has a distinct above you and below you that will be very good for you so having just given you a general astrological reading on this um, and thinking that generally speaking if a Virgo wants to travel for a job a Virgo rising, I should say, wants to travel for a job, they will do so. I'm going to give you uh, three cards and see what I get. Card number one is called um, the card indecision. <laughs> this is presumably a past, present, future reading. This shows a person juggling two coins, and they are down by the water, by the uh, ocean, it looks like, and there are ships on the ocean, one going up and one coming down on these big rolling waves, and they're juggling these two coins, which is better for me. What should I do? And there's an infinity symbol um, connecting them. They're weighing their options. However, when you look at the card closely, you'll see that they're on a stage, and this is not actually taking place in nature. There really are no. It's a painted sea and painted ships. 
And so this is a moment of introspection between the acts. While the curtain comes down with these painted ships, the um, entertainer comes out and does their song and dance, they're tap dancing, they're a little out of balance, and they're, they're going, yeah, yeah, I could choose one, I could choose the other. Being caught in the moment of choice is explaining to me that this is between the acts. Meanwhile, behind that curtain, the set is being moved and changed. And I'll tell you what this means to me. You will move, and it will be beneficial to you because there would have been no point for the curtain to come down if you were not changing the set. So you're going to be changing the set. But the money issue is ambiguous here because you asked, would this be better for me financially? And the answer is maybe not. But you're probably going to do it anyway because it'll be better for you emotionally. You'll be following your inclinations. You'll be following your head, your heart, and maybe even your uh, genitals. Who knows? But there's some reason that you wish to move, and that is not bad. The next card is a card that says um, money is not going to come out quite the way you want it. It's not a bad card for money, but it's a card that is called the Six of Pentacles. And it shows a merchant who has six pentacles or six coins to give out, and there are beggars kneeling and receiving gifts. One receives four coins, and the other has not received anything. The merchant is holding back two coins and may give those two to the other beggar or may just keep them. And the merchant is dressed very well and has a balanced beam scale thing. Everything's on the up and up. Everything's fair and level. But you can tell it can't be fair and level at this point unless one of the beggars gives two coins to the other beggar and the merchant keeps two. That's It's just it's messed up. So what I'm looking at here is that one of the reasons you may be um, a, a desirable employee is coming from Romania, you may work for less money than someone in that nation where you're going. But you won't earn um, as much as the chief people. You will not ever be that um, merchant with the fur trimmed. uh, And you will feel that you do have to um, kneel in front of someone to get your money. However, the money will be given, but it may not be given as fairly as you would wish it to be. The third card is a card that says, um, when you go to this new place, you may feel that um, you need to have some kind of legal uh, security. This card is called Justice. And it's another person with a balance beam scale. Here we have the Lady Justice, and she holds a sword in her hand. And the balance beam scale means that everything, you know, must be taken care of properly. Every I must be dotted. Every T must be crossed. And um, it is a, a good card. I don't know what field you work in. If you work in a in a field where um, legalities are important, this would be a, a good thing. I don't know what your circumstances are since you're not speaking with me, but let me say that you will need to have proper visa, proper um, passport. Everything will need to be on the up and up for this to work for you. Okay? So that's my reading. Let me turn this over uh, to Deborah.
Hi. Abe, thank you for um, letting me read for you. And um, let's see. As far as should you be traveling for your job. Um, you know, it's interesting that Kat was seeing a lot about um, having kind of having to do with balance. Um, and which is interesting because I pulled three cards. Um, I'm using a, a Rider Weight deck. Um, and on either side, uh, the first card and the third card, they're both aces. But in the middle is the is a major arcana, which is the um, eight or the strength card. So I'm just going to talk about this um, first card. The ace of pentacles is telling me that um, you're being offered a new beginning and some potential prosperity. Um, I love the imagery always of the hands coming out of the sky with the pentacle in place. And so there is like an opportunity opening up if you do um, choose to travel for your job. Um, The strength card is telling me, though, that you um, might be going through a time of challenges. As in the card, I see there's a woman there with the infinity symbol above her head, and she's holding the jaws of a lion and trying to tame this lion. And so this is telling me that you are very much uh, likely to go through a time of challenges and having to conquer some obstacles. Um, And then for the third card, the Ace of Wands, this indicates um, a successful venture, Ultimately, if you're able to go through these challenges or obstacles, um, and it also indicates that there's going to be some opportunity opening up um, for creativity. So while it might not be so much um, financial as the gain, uh, it looks like you're um, you're going to have a venue for um, you know, channeling your creativity. And so if that's important to you, then that would be more of a yes for moving forward on traveling in the job. And so the thing to be most mindful of is that there could be some good opportunities here, but be ready. Um, I always think of the cards as the universe giving us a heads up. And so... The thing that's um, really standing out is the strength card, you know, and so I would be just ready uh, to find a way to prepare yourself to expect that there's going to be some challenges and some obstacles along the way. And that's what I got. Okay. Well, um, this is interesting because we both saw that financially – there's opportunity, but we both saw that there's mm-hmm. something else that's going to actually be more of a draw. Um, and um, right. A, who's now in our chat, as Alex <laughs> says, I am working in a collar job. I presume this means a white collar job. In other words, an office type mm-hmm. job. Is that correct, Alex? Um, so I would say if that is the case, the cards mm-hmm. I got 
would certainly indicate that you would fit well into a hierarchical situation. Just make sure that everything is absolutely um, uh, legally uh, uh, well done. Let's turn this over to Conjurman, and he's going to give you Mm -hmm. some root work advice. Yeah, I think you've gotten some fantastic readings here. There are a couple things to be mindful of. So um, you said you said she was Virgo rising, if I remember correctly, right? Virgo rising is what they said? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so if they're, if they're Virgo rising, that means that Mercury is currently retrograde in your second house oh, of money. Yes. This is Kat right on, the, oh. right on the money talking about there's something iffy about money going on, not so sure about the money. Mm-hmm. is like 100%, oh, 100% on point on this. Mercury is in, so I use what is known as whole sign houses, meaning that we assign one house per, or one sign per house based off of the ascendant. So your second house right now, Mercury is in Libra retrograde. Be mindful of that. Uranus is retrograde in your ninth house of travel, and Mars is currently in Gemini, the tenth house of careers, and will be going retrograde in a few weeks. So just be mindful that the timing is a little bit funky for you. Not to mention Saturn, the ruler of your sun, is also retrograde. So what was my recommendation? Wait until until October 4th when Mercury comes out Ooh. of retrograde. Mercury will be in your ascendant and it will be in Virgo and it's domicile. It is a much more powerful position for Mercury. <laughs> it, the moon will have also moved into the 24th uh, lunar mansion, which is known as Sab al Saud, which is a, a lucky mansion. It's mediocre, it's okay, sort of okay for travel, but very, very good for employment. So it's really good. Before that is actually quite bad for travel. So timing-wise, if you can wait to October 4th before you do any big decisions or moves or whatnot, you'll be in a better position. If you, you're not going to be moving until after October 4th, and October 4th is when you should start your magical workings because the timing will be ideal for you. So this is just based off of the astrology, which really confirms what Deb and Ms. Kat were talking about there. So just be mindful of that. Uh, wait, October 4th is your ideal moment to work. What I want you to do is actually a three-part working, road opening, money drawing, and safe travel. Get yourself a jar, five-finger grass, bay leaf, alfalfa, alkanet, cinnamon, the magnetic sand, and the currency of your, your country. You're going to set this up in the center of your table. Set the herbs all around this jar. Around this jar, you are going to put four orange candles, one at the top, one at the right, one at the bottom, one at the left. Anoint each one of these candles with road-opening oil. Light the candles and pray that your ways are clear, that all obstacles are removed, that any delays and hindrances and any Troubles are removed from your way. Let the candles burn completely down, therefore clearing the way for your money and your success. Take the leftover wax and go to the crossroads. Throw the wax into the crossroads and then address each of the four branches. So there should be a traditional X crossroad. And you're going to say to each, I now open this road so that I may step forward and find my success. I now open this road so that all obstacles are removed and my journey is swift and easy. And you're going to address each one of these four crossroads. Once you do, you're going to gather just a pinch of the crossroads dirt and return back home. When you return home, 
take the currency and write your petition on there. Write it in what you want. That I get the job that I desire, I am able to move, and my money is protected, and my money flows well. Write a letter from God. Write on this currency. You can fill the entire thing up, but speak from your heart. Place this into the jar, and then one by one, place each one of those herbs. Put the five-finger grass in there that you may be successful with all five of your fingers. Bay leaf that you are crowned with victory and success. Alfalfa and alkanet to protect your money, because Miss Cat, notice that there is something funky going on with the money. The money might not be ideal, so we want to protect your wealth. Alfalfa and alkanet. Cinnamon to draw in wealth to you quickly, and magnetic sand to attract success. Place it all into the jar, pray over it, close it up, and then shake it up. Shake it. Shake this thing every single day until you move, until you've gotten to the place that you want to be, until you've gotten your job and you're settled. And then after that, you can uh, shake it up once a week. But you want to shake it up daily. The dirt that you have gathered, you will mix with safe travel powders and then dust your shoes with it so that every step that you take is protected by the spirit of the crossroads, that the ways are open and that you are protected in your travels as you go abroad for your job. This is what I recommend for you. So it's a three-part sort of working. You do road opening work. The jar is an ongoing magical working to protect your money, to draw in money for you, because I saw that that's going to be the sort of, that's the weak spot in the link, if you will. That's the weak link in the chain. So we want to address that. And then safe travel powders with that dirt to keep you safe when you finally go abroad. Let's see if Miss Cant and Deborah have anything further to add. Okay. I yeah, I'd like to hear um what were the when you burned the four candles, you had mentioned bay leaf and something else. What was what was that? So when you were the herbs that you're gathering for the jar are five finger grass, bay leaf, mm-hmm. alfalfa, alkanet, cinnamon, magnetic sand, and then the currency uh that you want to use, whatever currency. I still miss some of them. You're talking so fast. Five finger grass, bay leaf, magnetic sand, alkanet, uh, alfalfa, what else? and cinnamon. Alfalfa and cinnamon. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, always, okay. I always pair alkanet and alfalfa together. Ah, that's that's interesting. <laughs> I tend to to pair alfalfa with fenugreek um, because they're related. But I like um, the idea of alfalfa and alkanet because they sound good. <laughs> Yeah, and they protect from poverty and from jinxes of your money. That's what I was always taught to use uh, because money is the first thing to go. And whenever you notice that money is a little bit iffy, alfalfa and alka. I like that. Gosh, um, thanks for thanks for going over that a second time. Um, uh, we've been typing in the chat. Some horrible warfare has broken out on our roof between competing tribes of squirrels. I've never heard anything like it. They are they're they're screaming. They're they're hurting one another. They're oh, rolling no. down the, the the steep roof pitch. It's raining. Oh dear. It's it's. I don't know what the heck is going on up there. It's terrifying. So I, I I'm sorry I missed my typing. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a great spell. Wow. <laughs> um, now we're going to we're going to go through our network schedule announcement, and I hope the squirrels don't fall off the roof to their death because that's what it sounds like they intend to do. So here comes our our announcement. <laughs> Thank you. 
LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LeFay, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. And now it's time for our free spell segment from our special guest, Deborah Voice of bewitchingbee.com in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Take it away, Deborah. Alrighty. Okay. So this spell is for elevation of an intranquil ancestor, and it's done over a nine-day period. Um, this is used for uneasy or restless ancestral spirits or any spirit who you want to aid that's uneasy or intranquil. Um, like I said before, this could be something having to do being uh, because of suicide, accidental overdose, or maybe it was somebody who was just intranquil in life and continued to be intranquil in death. Um, so the items that you would need is um, you can get from Lucky Mojo Our Lady of Grace oil, incense, powder, and a vigil candle, um, Our Lady of Grace from Lucky Mojo, and nine white chime candles, two bowls of clear, clean water, and the and the following herbs, calendula, star anise, and vervain or verbena. Um, and this is used to help uh, lighten melancholy spirits. So you also need a paper to write your petition on. So to begin, light the incense to burn as you work, and then write the spirit's name, if you know it, nine times on the paper. If you don't know it, just write in tranquil spirit or restless spirit. And then cross and cover it nine times with a petition such as, um, is healed and delivered or is now uplifted or just use your own words um, and then dress the paper with the oil and the powder and fold it closed. Then set up the two bowls of water next to each other. Put about an inch of clean water into each bowl and I do this to draw the spirits into the work. Then I place the spiritual petition under the left bowl of water and I place Our Lady of Grace candle inside the right bowl and place um, one of the white candles dressed with Our Lady of Grace oil and powder into the bowl on the left. Um, then as they burn, I, I usually I pray. Um, you can just speak from the heart. That's always very powerful. Um, if I'm... Um, well, I just made up my own prayer for um, Our Lady of Grace, and so I can tell you that. I just say, Dear Lady of Grace, hear my prayer as I seek out your divine grace and aid in the deliverance of the intranquil spirit who reaches out to you at this time. Free them from the chains which bind them. Allow your benevolent grace to elevate their spirit and relieve their intranquility and deliver them across the veil to a place of wellness and spirit. I seek this action only if it aligns with the highest good of the divine source of all. I seek to act in empathy and compassion for this lost soul to relieve the bondage of self and open the door to a new beginning. 
In all cases, I pray that Our Lady of Grace aid the spirit and elevate them out of this intranquil state. Amen. And then I allow the white candle to burn all the way down to the water line. And then I repeat the same process and prayers on days two through nine. Then on the last day, take the name paper and other spell remnants to dispose of. Either they can be disposed of at a crossroad or alternately you might bury the petition at the individual's grave or bury it on sacred ground like in a churchyard cemetery. Um, and then afterwards, always remember to thank Our Lady of Grace. And I usually place a vase of uh, white flowers and light a candle um, to say thanks to her. Wow. And that's it. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't see Nagashiva posting the full um, text of this. Maybe I missed it while the squirrels were fighting. No, he did not. Oh. <laughs> um, he said no more text from her. Nope. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I'd, Deborah, I'd like oh. to ask you uh, to mm-hmm. send that remaining text to Nagashiva so we can put it okay. in the chat log. Um, okay. We'll try to get the complete full spell from the chat log, okay? You just mm-hmm. Particularly oh, okay. that prayer is beautiful. Yeah, the prayer is beautiful. Yeah. And to oh, make people you. stop and start and stop and start and write, you know, uh, <laughs> trying to copy it would be difficult. So, yeah, just send that to okay. him. And by the time the chat appears in our normal archive, that prayer will mm-hmm. be in there. All right. Aww. Thanks very much. That was beautiful, <laughs> just beautifully done. And I I want to say there are many ways to elevate a spirit. Um, mm-hmm. This was one really from the heart, and that's a... A, a wonderful way to work from the heart, from working for the highest good. Yeah, I yes, love it. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. Thank you. That, that while, it's also a beautiful reminder that while we often turn to our ancestors for help, sometimes our ancestors need our help. And elevation and working for their right. spiritual elevation is one way you can do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there, there's another thing that I've uh, adopted from the uh, spiritism of Alan Kardec, which is that uh, spirits and ancestors tend to like music. And I was taught to play oh. some music that they would like and um, during the time of the elevation, usually nine days, and play the music mm-hmm. that they like and then sort of just fade it down a little bit as they move on. <laughs> <laughs> to a higher elevation. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah. Yeah. So that that sort of sets the scene. You know, if you know an ancestor mm-hmm. who liked foxtrots, play a foxtrot. If they like <laughs> Mozart, play Mozart, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's a way of connecting with them. We had earlier talked about recipes and mm-hmm. aromas, but mm-hmm. music mm-hmm. is a way that Alan Kardec taught. <laughs> And that makes perfect sense, too, considering so much of spirit is tied to vibration. So music Mm -hmm. is very powerful in that regard. And, I mean, we can see it in traditions around the world. The invoking of spirit is often tied to things like the ringing of bells, the playing of music, the singing of songs. Mm -hmm. So I love the idea of playing their favorite song and then changing the volume. I quite literally playing with the vibration. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have found that I have contact with my ancestors whom I know through what their what their musical preferences were and uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to all, you know I can um suddenly 
you know, um, <laughs> burst into a little phrase from Mozart, and I can mm-hmm. feel my mother is very happy. Oh, she loves Mozart, and she's attracted to Mozart, and uh, she would whistle it and, you know, so forth. And uh, when I whistle <laughs> Mozart, my mother shows up. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can attract a spirit with music and also please them <laughs> with an offering of music. Ah, speaking of music, after I (laughs) shuffle off this mortal coil, I hope you all will remember the music of the Memphis Jug Band. This is the Jug Band Waltz, but they did many, many other songs. If you want to think about me in years to come, you might want to play Casey Moan or Stealin' Stealin'. But the Memphis Jug Band will work, too. So we're turning this over to Joshua, and he's going to give us our finishing announcements, and then we'll all come back and say goodbye. Thank you, Miss Kelly, and thank you, Conjurman, and thank you, Deborah Boyd of com in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for being our special guest this week. We invite you to join us next week when another fine guest will bring us an exciting tutorial on a fabulous spiritual topic. Once again, we've come to the end of another Lucky Mojo Studio Tower, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Studio Company in Forestville, California. You can find this chat via the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and Conjurman at conjurmanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. I'm your announcer, Cousin Joshua, joining you from CousinJoshua.com here in Atlanta, Georgia. The Lucky Mojo Root Workout, Hoodoo Root Work Hour can be heard each and every week live on Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And the shows are always available in archive via luckymojo.com forward slash radio show.html. From all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to thank you for being here and invite you to tune in once again next week at the same time when you will hear the familiar strains of the Memphis Jug Band playing the Jug Band Wall. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you so much, Joshua, for being our announcer. Uh-huh. You're just a, a real mention, a nice guy. Um, Absolutely. I, I hope to have you back as a guest as well as a guest announcer. You have us so much to add to our community, and we love you dearly. And thank you, Deborah Voice. You always bring so much information. You have such a strong background in uh, this work, and it's just wonderful to share it with you. And thank you, Conjurman, because you put everything in numbered bunches. <laughs> always a pleasure. All right. All Good right. night, everybody. Right. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night, all. Bye. Bye.